A beetle ran out from under the woman's neck. It must have sensed them watching because it immediately scuttled back. Not quick enough though, Reggie pounced. She pulled out a specimen bottle from her jacket pocket and dropped it in. What the hell? Michelle asked. Something weird going on, Reggie said. I've always liked crime stories which start at an intriguing place, and I think this one does that quite well, before leading us down some dark and interesting rabbit holes. Nancy Dennis is a force of nature. I first saw her as an MC, but she's an actor and singer as well. We've worked together on a film previously, and her one-woman show was amazing. Please enjoy Down Among the Dead Men. Down Among the Dead Men. Everyone had heard of Reggie Roundtree. There were a million stories. She was a talker. She was brilliant, intuitive, funny as hell. Went through partners quicker than she went through vegetarian pies. And she went through a lot of vegetarian pies. But she got the job done. Michelle Stokes was at the wheel as they drove to Pineside, the local cemetery. The morning was Michelle's first day back after a glorious two weeks in Tassie. The roster showed she'd been paired with Reggie. She was happy about that. Everyone wanted to work with Reggie. She'd glance at Reggie occasionally. She sipped loudly from the instant coffee in the polystyrene cup she held. Michelle had offered to stop and get a real one. Christ knew she could do with one herself, but Reggie had waved her off. Reggie didn't dress like a detective, that was for sure. Today she had a man's shirt and jacket, a black and white tartan kilt, red Doc Martin boots, and to complete the ensemble, canary yellow socks. Get to the cemetery, she said. The scene of the crime. And I love freaking cemeteries. They're either so neat and ordered, perfect grass, or they're a total and complete shambles. Broken stones and caved in graves. And you know the best thing, Michelle? The best thing, Michelle, is that we leave them still walking. Eyes bright, happy with life. They're goddamn lenses, Michelle. That's what they are. They bring the important things into focus. Visiting cemeteries should be goddamn compulsory. Michelle nodded, silent agreement, as she navigated the long driveway towards the chapel. A group of about 15 mourners stood by the chapel door. Two funeral directors stood just inside. The older one was stout. His young companion was quite skinny. Laurel and friggin' hardy, Reggie muttered. She hummed the tune softly. Do-dee-doo, 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 do-dee-doo. The detectives introduced themselves. The older of the two funeral directors ushered them inside. On the end of one of the pews, about halfway down, sat a young woman. This is the daughter, Danielle Harris, the funeral director said. You want to talk to her or... He looked towards the open coffin. Thanks, Reggie said. Why don't I chat to Danielle first? Of course, the funeral director said. You want me to? We'll have a private conversation, Reggie said. We'll come back to you in a jiffy. The funeral director bowed and returned to the door. Reggie introduced herself to Danielle. I understand you were the person who rang us, she said. Do you want to tell us what happened? Do you mind if my colleague takes some notes? Danielle nodded and then started to speak. We weren't going to have a viewing, Danielle said. To tell the truth, 
Mum and I weren't very close, not the last few years anyway, but I thought I should see her one last time, say goodbye properly. I was at the hospital when she passed. I thought that'd be enough, but I asked them if it was possible here, just me though. They held the others up at the door and led me down. I was crying, which is why I didn't notice until I was right there. She sobbed for a minute. Reggie put her hand on her arm. Go on, she said. It's not mum, Danielle said softly. Reggie looked to Michelle and then turned back to Danielle. I've heard the embalming process can sometimes make people look quite different. They don't make them look that different, Danielle said. This woman is a redhead. It's a different woman. Look at the photo. She indicated the picture on the easel near the front of the chapel. Her name underneath, Emily Harris. Danielle, I'm going to ask you to do something else, Reggie said. Can you help us? Danielle nodded, then stood up. Reggie took Danielle's hand and led her down towards the coffin. They looked inside. Mum's hair is shorter, Danielle said. That woman's nose is long. That's not even Mum's jewellery. I've never seen that ring in my life. And look at her hands, she added. All lumpy like that? Mum never had hands like that. Arthritis? Reggie asked. Danielle shook her head. No, she said. Okay, thanks, Reggie said. Head outside now. I'm going to talk to the funeral director. Probably there's just been a mix-up. Danielle shook her head. That's what I told them, she said. They showed me her wristband. It's got Mum's name on it. Danielle went outside. The funeral directors came down to the detectives. Name's Daryl Locke the older one said. It's got me stumped, that's for sure. You want to tell me the process, Reggie said. Supposed to be fail-safe, Daryl said. We went up to the morgue, only one to pick up that day. Sometimes there's more, of course. Not last Friday, though. She's in a body bag. Her name's written on it. She also has hospital ID with her name on it. We sign the register against her name, then we open the bag and put our own ID tags on, one each wrist. And those tags are still on her, Reggie said. Yes, it's the first thing I checked. See? Michelle wrote furiously in her notebook. Like I said, fail safe. So what's happened? Reggie asked. Bugger if I know, Daryl said. And you're certain this is the woman you picked up from the hospital? The funeral director glanced towards the door of the chapel. They could see Danielle talking to the other mourners. Can't be certain, he admitted. We do so many. To be honest, I don't recall looking at her face much. There'd been some leakage, so we had to stuff the bag with towels, didn't we, Craig? The other funeral director nodded. Michelle thought he looked a bit pale. Remember how much blood there was, Craig? Craig covered his mouth. He's never got used to the fluids, Daryl chuckled. Don't like him, do you, mate? Craig waved his hand at them. I better take him out for some air, Daryl said. The two funeral directors walked up the aisle together. Do-dee-doo, do-dee-doo, Reggie said. She went over to the coffin. Got some gloves? She asked. Michelle took out a pair of purple latex ones. Give her a quick once-over, would ya? Michelle looked back at her. Go on, she's not gonna bite ya. Michelle gingerly reached down into the coffin. Feel her skull under her hair. See if there are any injuries. Funeral directors would have seen anything obvious on her body when they dressed her. Michelle found a little lump. They both peered in. Feels like plastic, Michelle said. 
It's super glue, Reggie told her. She called Daryl back down. You feel this? She said. He shook his head. Craig, he explained. They called Craig down. Yeah, head wound. Had to fill it, he said. Head wound on a stroke victim? Reggie asked. Daryl shrugged. We're not doctors. How do we know what they've done in the way of medical intervention? We just make them presentable, he said. Reggie pulled back the dead woman's hair and looked at the hole very closely. Looks like a bullet hole, she said. 22 maybe. Wouldn't there be an exit wound, Michelle asked. Not necessarily with something that small, Reggie said. It's fired, muzzle velocity, but immediately slows as it passes through the bone. Goes through the brain, slows a bit more. Sometimes when it hits the inside of the skull on the other side, it doesn't always go through. Instead, it bounces off, ricochets into the grey matter. Maybe even does it again when it comes back to this side. They looked down at the old woman who'd been shot in the side of the head and then substituted for another older woman. A beetle ran out from under the woman's neck. It must have sensed them watching because it immediately scuttled back. Not quick enough though, Reggie pounced. She pulled out a specimen bottle from her jacket pocket and dropped it in. What the hell? Michelle asked. Something weird going on, Reggie said. Michelle and Reggie went up to the hospital. Reggie was whistling as she drove. Michelle was on her phone googling. Oh wow, she said. That woman was shot, but it looks like Danielle's mother might have been murdered too. Well, not murdered murdered, but close. Explain, Reggie said abruptly. Believe it or not, she was an influencer on social media. Products for the older women. Also a forthright speaker. Very pro-environment, anti-carbon, she was copying it from the trolls when she died. Never should have let them out of Scandinavia, Reggie muttered. Michelle smiled. Internet trolls, Michelle said. Looks like Danielle's mother tried to fight them off, but they're so brutal. The stress got to her. She had a stroke. Reggie glanced over. Really? Reggie asked. I've just looked at some newspaper articles. I haven't seen the PM report. The coroner won't have released it yet anyway. Reggie was parking. It seemed she didn't rely on either her mirrors or the reversing camera. She simply moved backwards until there was a jolt when the van hit the vehicle behind. A similar jolt each time she moved forward. What? She asked offensively when she noticed Michelle looking at her. It's a work car. Reggie strode up to the entrance of the morgue and knocked loudly. The door was answered after a few moments. A woman stood there. Slightly goth, Michelle thought, in a heavy eyeliner kind of way. Wide smile, low-cut blouse, behind a transparent, blood-spattered apron. Hannah, dressed to impress, Reggie said loudly, pushing past her. How are they hanging, Reggie? Hannah asked. Oh, you know, loose and full of juice, Reggie said. She walked over to the mortuary register and started going through the entries for the previous week. Emily Harris, she said. Signed out ten days ago. I remember her, the influencer, Hannah said, now standing next to Reggie. You there for the PM? Reggie asked. Hannah nodded. Reports with the coroner, CVA. Hannah turned to Michelle. Cerebrovascular accident, she explained. A stroke in other words, Reggie said. So would we expect a hole in her skull? Hannah actually looked shocked. A hole? She asked. We didn't see anything like that, and I promise you, we would have. 
It's what we do, she added. Everyone else present and accounted for? Reggie asked. Hannah glanced at the book. Yes, why? Reggie explained what had happened. I can promise you that the woman Daryl picked up was Emily, Hannah said. The only one who went out that day. It's in the register. Reggie took a photo of the book, then started striding towards the door. Darts tonight? She asked. Yeah, of course. It's Tuesday, Hannah said, smiling. Michelle started following Reggie's rapidly receding wake. You play darts? Hannah asked as Michelle left. Michelle didn't have time to answer. Reggie was speeding along, zipping through the traffic, went through a couple of orange lights, which had very little green left in them. Best part of being a cop, she explained. Where are we going now? Michelle asked. Back to the station, Reggie said. Check the missing persons database? Michelle asked. Well, I was just going to have lunch, but sure, you could do that, Reggie said. 20 minutes later, Michelle was scrolling through the faces of missing women. Reggie was polishing off a salad at her shoulder, munching the crisp lettuce loudly. One thing I can't stand is someone sitting behind me eating, Reggie said. Michelle didn't reply. Then they recognised the face. Alison Whitcomb went to the shops three weeks ago, never came back, Michelle said. Curiouser and curiouser, Reggie said. What are we looking at, Michelle? She asked as she went to the fridge. Was Alison a blogger as well? Someone else on the wrong side of QAnon. Where's Emily Harris's body? Are they both the only evidence we have thus far of a serial killer with a penchant for the elderly? Perhaps more importantly, we need to ask though, where the hell is my bloody coke? Michelle and Reggie drove over to the Whitcombs' house. Uniform had been already and given the sad news. Michelle and Reggie were expected. They were led inside by Eddie Whitcomb, Alison's husband. Michelle thought he was in his 80s, possibly older. His suit was well-worn, patched and ironed, thin in places, like Eddie, Michelle thought. The walls of the house were covered with paintings, not framed, just every inch of the wall had been painted on. Flowers and plants. Seeing the house itself was full of live flowers and plants. It made it very hard to tell where reality ended and art began. Alison loved to paint. Eddie said. I love to garden. Getting harder to move around outside now, so this is the inevitable result. The evolution of our time together, you might say. The love of age. The age of love, Michelle heard Reggie mutter. They went into the kitchen. A Labrador puppy licked from a bowl. That's champion four, Eddie said. We call her Delta. From somewhere they couldn't tell where, Saccharine strings that sounded like they were from the 1950s played softly and sweetly. Does the wireless bother you? Eddie asked. I tune into the station. Either it's a new station that plays old songs or an old station that plays songs that used to be new. Either way, it suits us. Suits me, I suppose. He looked down at the dog. Suits us, he affirmed. There were tea things on the counter. Eddie poured boiling water into a pot. It was aromatic tea. Michelle thought. Eddie rustled under the counter, brought out a Tupperware filled with biscuits. He opened the lid and sniffed. Whoops. These are for the dog. Don't want to get them mixed up. He pulled out another container. These are ginger nuts, made yesterday. He loaded a tray and led them to the lounge. He brushed aside some errant foliage. Always more difficult in the spring, he said. He poured tea. They discussed milk and sugar and how delicious the biscuits were. 
Then, when there was nothing left to talk about, they started to talk about the thing they didn't want to talk about. Alison, Reggie prompted. Eddie looked at her. Yes, Alison, he said. The officers who were here earlier broke the news. Sad. I guess I was prepared. She's been gone so long. She'd never have been gone that long unless something bad had happened. Do you have any idea why your wife might have disappeared? Reggie asked. Eddie shook his head. It was a day like any other. I suppose you hear that all the time, he said. So ordinary, I can't really tell you anything about it. Breakfast? We preferred toast and marmalade to cereal. Porridge on weekends, of course. Lunch was boiled eggs and toast soldiers. In between, I think she painted. I can't be certain. I probably pruned. He looked at some of the branches threatening to overwhelm them. Possibly not as much as I should have, he said. After that, I had a nap. There was a note when I woke up. That wasn't uncommon. She'd popped down to the shops for a few essentials. I called you blokes by 6pm when she hadn't returned. They said to wait a few more days before making an official report. I didn't see the point in waiting, but I did as I was told. One does, doesn't one, when dealing with the police. I must say, those first few nights without her were very unusual. The puppy had come into the room and was licking his hand. After a while, it came over to Reggie and started to lick hers. Let me know if she bothers you, Eddie said. Reggie said she liked it. And you can't think of anything, anything at all, that was different or unusual, Reggie asked. I've gone over it a thousand times in my head, Eddie told them. It was just the same as any other day. They finished their tea and had actually stood to go when Eddie touched Reggie on the arm. Now that I'm thinking about it, there was one thing that was different, he said. I didn't consider it before because it could hardly be related to Alison going missing. Although it was strange, now that I think about it. Go on, Reggie said. There was a dead bird when I walked to the shop with Delta, looking for Alison. A dead bird? A golden bowerbird. Michelle opened the door to leave, but Reggie turned back to Eddie. A golden bowerbird? Eddie was patting Delta and nodding. It was unmarked, as far as I could tell, just dead on the side of the footpath. But that wasn't the strange thing, was it? asked Reggie. Eddie shook his head. Golden bowerbirds are endemic to the high-altitude rainforests of North Queensland, Reggie said. What was it doing down here? she asked. That's what I said to Delta, Eddie said. And what did you do with it? Reggie wanted to know. Nothing. I was worried about Alison. I just left it there. I'm sorry I didn't mention it when I filed the missing persons report, but so much has happened. It hit him then. Michelle could see it engulf him like a wave. The treacle trickle of the old violin music. The pictures of flowers and the scent of flowers. The soft light and the memories of his wife who now had been confirmed as never coming back. The last fragments of hope flying sadly away. He fell against Reggie and started sobbing. Delta rubbed against his leg. Reggie kept hugging him for some time. Michelle and Reggie were in the van. Michelle could see there were tears in Reggie's eyes as she drove. Where are we going? Michelle asked after a while. Uni, muttered Reggie. It took about 20 minutes to get there and no time to park. One of the things I joined up for, Reggie muttered. Park where you like, speed when you like, not to mention the guns and the leather.
Not the justice then? Michelle asked. Only on alternate Thursdays, Reggie said. They were in a loading dock behind a tall, boring-looking brick building. A plain double door. Reggie rang the bell. It was opened after about two minutes by a scruffy-looking student. He reminded Michelle a little of Hannah. He was cheerful enough. That wasn't it, though. It was the smell of cleaning chemicals, she realised. The perfume of the dead, she thought. Or those who work with the dead, anyway. Gunter in? Reggie asked. He's just finished a lecture on decomposition rates, the boy told them. He'll be quite cheerful then, Reggie said. They walked past two bodies on long stainless steel trays. One was missing a leg from the knee down. Reverse jigsaw puzzle? Reggie asked. The boy nodded. Into a storage room. Rows of labelled jars. Hands, hearts, eyes, brains. You could have warned me, muttered Michelle. Ooh, body parts in formaldehyde. Watch out, Reggie said. Through a door and into a lecture space. Like walking onto a stage, Michelle thought. A tall man with long white hair in a ponytail was arranging some papers. Reggie, he said. Hello, Gunter, Reggie said. This is Michelle, new. How can I help? Gunter said. Reggie took out a plastic vial and handed it to Gunter. In a coffin. I don't think it should have been there, Reggie said. Neither should the body, for that matter. Gunter lifted the little glass jar to his eye and looked for only a couple of seconds. Domested, he said. You found this in a coffin? Reggie nodded. Unusual, Gunter said. You know what they are? He asked Michelle. She shook her head. Flesh-eating beetles, he said. Michelle thought he'd put on an overly dramatic voice. We use them for two things. One, if we want to strip the flesh away down to the bones, they're very efficient. Secondly, because they exist in the wild, it means if we find a body that's been disposed of, we can sometimes determine the time of death by measuring the size of the beetles' heads. Because that tells us how long they've been eating. Their heads, he repeated. <laughs> he handed the jar back to Reggie. In a coffin, though, mortuaries are usually very careful about keeping them out. The last thing you want is to open the lid at the viewing and see them crawling around. Having the face missing? The relatives don't like it when the face is missing. <laughs> he laughed again and gathered the rest of his papers. We don't keep any here, though. We use the colony at the museum. They'll tell you more. They were walking again, back through the room of Charles. He stopped, pointing around to all the specimens. We're getting more donations in the name of medical science than ever, he said. We can only keep them for seven years, but we're getting full. I had to say no to three families last month. It's the secular world, I suppose, he sighed. Or maybe it's just people skimping on paying for funerals, he added. Michelle and Reggie were back in the van. The visit to the university mortuary seemed to have lifted Reggie's spirits. Don't you find it just fascinating, she was saying. There are really so few kinds of death. Deliberate. Accident. Disease. Age. One of them will get all of us. And sometimes it comes down to one irreversible moment. A lack of oxygen when seconds later you could be surrounded by it. Too late. Blood loss when minutes later you could be pumped full again. Sorry, won't work. We're so fragile like that. 
but sometimes remarkably strong as well. I used to read a lot of survival books, like Shackleton in the Antarctic, what they went through and nearly all of them lived. Other people in wars, in deserts, in disasters of unimaginable magnitude, trapped under fallen buildings and surviving through sheer willpower. Amazing! All of us are already miracles of survival. Just to make it out of the womb is a major accomplishment. Life itself, indistinguishable from magic. We should be so proud every time we take a breath. That's why we should make the most of it. Do you sing, Michelle? Michelle shook her head. Come on, let's sing. Let us vent forth with tremendous alarm together. Come on, Michelle, we have to. Michelle turned to her. I'm not a great singer, Michelle explained. It's all right, Reggie said in a normal voice. It's too late now anyway. Reggie didn't speak again all the way to the station. The next morning, Reggie took Michelle to a small office with a whiteboard. I had the most tremendous sleep, she said. It's amazing what a simple night of good rest can do for you. Dreams, so many dreams. Do you dream? Michelle went to reply, but Reggie cut her off. I dreamt about the case. Not all night. There were too many things there, if I'm honest. All tangled up and crazy and half-remembered or half-forgotten already, but also moments of pure clarity. Hmm. Reggie grabbed a marking pen and began to draw on the board. There are connections, you see. She drew a rectangle. This is the coffin. Body A is replaced by body B. This is the key aspect. It was supposed to be undiscovered and but for Danielle Harris wanting one last goodbye, it would have been. Two questions then. Firstly, of course, why? What was special about body A and what was not special about body B? Presumably it was rejected. We will assume not because of the gunshot wound, because it was minor, and also because it was presumably perpetrated by the assailant. Second question, how many? The crime was only discovered because they opened the coffin at the last minute. How many others have gone undiscovered? Michelle nodded. Makes sense so far, she said. Two other elements, Reggie said. One, a dead bird, thousands of kilometres from its territory. Two, a beetle in the coffin where it would not be expected. Gunter suggested we talk to the museum. They're calling me back, Michelle said. Excellent, Reggie said. A good night's sleep and dancing, Michelle. This morning I danced. Did you know they did a study of famine sufferers? Those who dance energetically once a day were 80% more likely to survive. Incredible! Do you dance? On social occasions, Michelle said. I prescribe you an hour a day before breakfast, Reggie said. Construct a tambourine from an old biscuit tin and used Medicare cards. I promise you'll never have to see a doctor again. Reggie swayed from side to side listening to a silent song. What university studied famine sufferers like that? Michelle asked. Are you sure it wasn't one of your dreams? No, I'm sure I read it somewhere. At least, I think I did. But the important thing is sleep. Sleep is my friend. It's emotional helium. I shall be positively buoyant all day. Michelle and Reggie went to the museum later that morning. They'd had a call from the entomology department and someone was waiting to see them. 
The woman in the white coat introduced herself. Dr. Christine Circus, she said. Domestic beetles. Gunter at the university said you had a colony? Reggie asked. We use them to strip specimens. We remove most of the flesh manually, all the easy bits, then leave the rest to the insects. Give them a week or two, nice clean bones. Want to see? She led them down a corridor. You said you'd found a beetle in a coffin. Michelle nodded. How unusual, Dr. Circus said. This is the taxidermy room. It was a strange place, like some animal skeletons had been caught half undressed in their skins. A young man was rifling through a drawer full of glass eyes. Which one for a koala? he asked. Marsupials are the next one down, large. Reggie nudged Michelle. He reminds me of someone. Yeah, Michelle said. Hmm, Reggie told her. Can't remember who. Dr. Circus led them further. This is the lab, she said. I can offer you a mask if you want one, but it really doesn't do that much to stop the smell. But there's nothing pathogenic flying around, or at least there shouldn't be, she added. Very reassuring, Reggie said. Dr. Circus opened the heavy door. The room was humid and smelled of decay. She walked over to something looking like a long chest freezer. It takes a team to break down a body efficiently, Dr. Circus said. There are worms, flies, beetles, fungus and more. Some of the team eat other members of the team. It's all very collaborative. She opened the lid. Michelle noticed Dr. Circus was watching her and Reggie, a slight smile on her face as the smell hit. Michelle took a step back, but Reggie stayed, peering down. A couple of dibblers sent to us from WA, Dr. Circus said. We've removed most of the flesh. The scavengers will have the rest. A flat, shiny cloud of invertebrates moved over the bodies. Bones were already evident. Can you hear that? Dr. Circus asked. Michelle listened closely. A minuscule noise, part rustle, part tiny munch, part whisper. Yuck, Michelle said. Listen to them. Creatures of the night. What music they make, Dr. Circus said, suddenly laughing and closing the lid. Who else has a colony of these beetles? Reggie asked. No one else locally. The uni sends their bodies up here. It's quite a speciality. I can imagine, Reggie said. They walked back towards the entrance. Reggie took a close look at the assistant, now standing back from the body of a koala, one eye now evident. Lose anything lately? Reggie asked, like a bowerbird. Dr. Circus looked at the assistant. David? David shook his head. Do a check for us, would you? Dr. Circus said. We got those specimens in from the Daintree the other week. No problems, Doc, the boy said. Dr. Circus led them out of the room. I hope you find what you're looking for, she said at the exit. Do you ever have any strange requests? Reggie asked. What do you mean by strange? Dr. Circus said. Ones that are more than simple bone stripping or taxidermy for institutions, Reggie said. The doctor thought. Occasionally things for film props... Kids wanting skeletons for Halloween. Sometimes artists wanting hybrids. And do you do them? Reggie asked. Of course not, Dr. Circus said. That would be unethical. Besides, we're busy enough. 
Does anyone else provide those services? Dr. Circus shook her head. There actually was one company, but they shut down a couple of years back. I don't know where people go for that sort of thing these days. I suspect there'd be someone, though. Why's that? Michelle asked. Dr. Circus smiled again. Market forces, she said. Supply and demand. She walked away, leaving Michelle and Reggie watching her. Interesting, was all Reggie had to say. They found a small cafe and ordered lunch. Reggie ordered a veggie burger with the lot. Michelle asked for a ham and salad sandwich. Are you a health nut? Michelle asked as they waited for their food. I just don't like eating animals, Reggie said. I embrace life in all its facets, especially cheese, but I'm not a fanatic. Are you whatever the opposite of a health nut is? Reggie asked. Michelle shook her head. They were waiting for their food. Are you in a relationship? Michelle asked. I'm aromantic, Reggie said. Me too, said Michelle. Candles, flowers, the whole bit. Not a romantic, Reggie said. Aromantic. One word. Not interested in relationships, candles or flowers. Actually, I don't mind flowers. Being aromantic doesn't define me though. I haven't had to come out. I just don't do relationships. They're too messy. Michelle tried to think about what a life without relationships would look like. She found it hard to imagine. Why? She said after a while. Not a tragic childhood, Reggie said. Although they all are to some extent, aren't they? No, I just don't like the thought of relationships. Those shared experiences, the trust telling secrets. Oh God, the planning. They're the things I like about relationships, Michelle said. Reggie laughed. Someone else eating the last of the brie, she said. Michelle smiled. I'm an onion, Reggie said. I've got about 18 layers to get through before you scratch the surface. By then, you've already hurt me. So for me, easier not to. Safer. Fewer questions. Their meals came and they ate for a while. Then Reggie spoke, although her mouth was still full. The kid at the museum is still bugging me. We've seen him somewhere before. You think so? Mm-hmm. Certain of it. Reggie's phone rang. Yup, she asked the caller, still chewing. Michelle watched the remains of Reggie's burger drop from her hands and fall to her plate. Not an accident. Sudden disinterest. We'll go there now, Reggie said. She looked at Michelle. It's Eddie, she said. Reggie drove around to Eddie's house very slowly. It was almost as if she didn't want to arrive. There was a marked police vehicle in the driveway. Michelle and Reggie showed their badges and were allowed inside. Something to do with the case you're working on? A constable asked. Yeah, what happened? Reggie asked. Nothing sus as far as we can tell. Neighbour called it in when he heard the dog whining. Delta! called Reggie. The puppy came running. Reggie bent down to pet it. I wouldn't do that, the officer said. The dog's been here a few nights. No food and the owner was dead. Reggie looked up. Munchy munchy, the officer said softly. Reggie looked down at Delta. You poor thing, she whispered. Has she been fed since you got here? She asked. The officer didn't know. Reggie went to the kitchen, found the dog food in the pantry and opened a can. Delta gulped it down, barely seeming to chew. There was no obvious signs of injury, the officer said, except for... 
Poor Eddie, Michelle said. Poor Delta, said Reggie. Nothing else that we noticed, the constable said. No sign of a struggle, forced entry, break and enter, nothing like that. Just slipped away in his sleep, I reckon. Reggie nodded. Broken heart, Michelle said. Reggie walked into the bedroom, had a quick look around the rest of the house. As if satisfied, she came back to the constable. What happens with the dog? She asked. Pound, he said. Reggie nodded. Hopefully she'll get a good home. Reggie patted Delta, but then she turned and marched out of the door. You okay? Michelle asked Reggie when she returned to the car. Hmm? You okay? Broken heart. You can see why I don't do relationships, Reggie said. Nevertheless, she watched the house closely as they backed out the driveway. Where to? Michelle asked. To the funeral directors, Reggie said. I want to say goodbye to Eddie. Darrell Locke's office was in stark contrast to his mortuary. The office was sleek and shiny. The mortuary was old. It wasn't dirty, but it carried the evidence of years. Reggie spent a moment looking at Eddie's face, then she zipped up the body bag. While we're here, Reggie said to Mr Locke, mind if we look at your mortuary register? The big blue book on the desk there, he said. I'm guessing I won't find anything I shouldn't, Reggie asked. Daryl nodded. Reggie strode away in the direction of the register. Michelle followed closely. Hate the way funeral directors do that, Reggie whispered to Michelle. Stare at you like they're measuring you up. Whose name are we looking for, Michelle said. Emily Harris will be here because we know they picked her up from the hospital, Reggie said. And Alison Whitcomb shouldn't be because they've denied all knowledge of her. Here, look. Emily Harris was in on the 4th and out three days later. That's consistent with what we know. Darrell brought her in, Craig signed her out. Reggie strode back in Darrell's direction so quickly that Michelle had to hurry to catch up to her. Craig took Mrs Harris down to the creme, Reggie asked. I'd have to check, but if he signed her out, then you'd be right, Darrell said. From memory, Craig took three coffins down to the creme in the van. I went down in the car after he'd set up for Mrs Harris, as she was the first. We had another team on a church service that morning. They had the hearse. So Craig would have been alone with Mrs Harris at the creme? Reggie asked. No. The staff at the chapel would have helped him set up. There might have been the odd moment no one else was around, but not for long. People would have been in and out. And if you've ever met Jan down there, loves a chat, Jan does. She's always hanging around. She was there that day. Thanks, said Reggie. She turned and started walking back to the car. Sorry we couldn't give you the information you want, Daryl said. Reggie turned back. Who said you haven't? She asked, smiling. They were in the van, heading back to the station. Are you going to tell me what's going on? Michelle asked Reggie. Reggie shrugged. Look, I'm not 100%, she said, but I have a simple theory and it's usually the simple theories which are the correct ones. Remember I told you that the kid at the uni jogged my memory? Craig, Michelle said. He looks like Craig. Yes, Reggie agreed. Too much like Craig for it to be a coincidence. Craig signed his name in the register. Craig Russell, want to give Dr Circus a quick call? Michelle rang the uni. Just wondering about the surname of your assistant, she said. Hmm, okay, thanks. She turned to Reggie, smiling. David Russell, she said. Also, one of their bowerbirds is missing. Drop me at the court, Reggie said. I'm getting a search warrant. 
They raided the Russell home late that afternoon. The house was immaculate. The boy's mother, Elaine, protested the raid loudly. She said they'd find nothing there, and she was right. Reggie pointed to a garage at the end of the long driveway. It was made of fibro cement and looked dilapidated. What do you think? She asked Michelle. I think I can smell the asbestos from here, Michelle replied. The door wasn't even locked. The interior smelled of death and decay. They found a skeleton in the first cupboard they opened. Jesus, Reggie said. Not far away, a vat full of domestics creeping over something else. A head, Michelle said. She started to dry wretch. Go outside, Reggie told her. Michelle held a handkerchief to her mouth. She took a couple of steps towards the door, then turned back. I'm okay, she said. Good for you, Reggie told her. Then Michelle brought up her lunch. Reggie watched. You look pale, she said, smiling. I feel pale, Michelle replied. There was another human skeleton in a separate cupboard and what looked to be one of a dog. What is this place? Michelle asked. She sat at the desk. The computer came to life and she started scrolling screens. Oh my God, she said. What? asked Reggie. They take orders for skeletons. Discounts for Halloween. That'll explain this then, Reggie said, holding out a 22 rifle in front of her. My guess is that this is the one they used to kill Alison Whitcomb. The brothers turned on each other, each trying to cut a plea deal. It had been David's idea to start selling skeletons for Halloween. They'd sold about 50 skeletons over three years at a couple of thousand a pop. Craig had supplied most of the bodies, diverting the funeral home van past the family shed when he knew viewings weren't scheduled. They'd filled the empty coffins with offcuts from the butcher. Sometimes though, if they couldn't schedule a drive through, they'd stage a drive by instead and shoot someone on the street. That's what had happened to Alison Whitcomb. David thought she had been too lumpy and too arthritic, though. Neither brother would admit to the shooting. That was the end of the evidence trail. Both would go to jail. A jury would decide who was guilty of murder and who was the accessory. Michelle thought she and Reggie would celebrate the conviction, but instead she saw Reggie withdraw. She stopped smiling, stopped talking loudly, then stopped talking at all. She just crashed. She took extended leave. Michelle tried to call her a few times, but she didn't pick up. Seen it before, one of the other officers said. Happens to the best of them. One case will push him over the line. One minute fine, the next, vroom. A month later, Michelle dropped around to see her. Reggie was different. She spoke softly. No extravagant gestures, some weight loss. Michelle expected her to be wearing something outrageous. Instead, she was in a pale pink dressing gown. I know you're not expecting me, Michelle said when she answered the door. I can go, she added, but I've got these. She passed Reggie some flowers. To a surprise, Reggie smiled. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank you. It's perfect timing, actually, she said. Come in. I've got the kettle on. Michelle heard a dog moving down the hallway. It emerged in the light. 
Delta, she said. I got her from the pound, Reggie said. I don't do relationships, but I made an exception in this case. Later, they sat at the table, drinking tea from old mugs. I don't know why this one hit me so hard, Reggie said. It wasn't Eddie dying like that. It wasn't even the sheer, trite, stupid pointlessness of Alison's death. It went way beyond both of them. It went down the road, around the corner, past the crooked tree and straight on towards existential friggin' dread. Existential dread? Michelle asked. Of death, of course. We're surrounded by it. Everywhere we look, decay, morbidity, ageing. My fridge is the worst of all. Michelle looked up. Joke, Reggie said. Thank God, Michelle answered. I was going to run away. I didn't have anywhere to go, though. There was nowhere I could go that I wouldn't bring it with me. And then I realised I also couldn't leave Delta to be executed. High chance. Who wants a face-eating dog? But also, she'd somehow claimed me. When I realised that, it's been a long time. A long time since I let anyone get close. And she could desert me at any moment. Run away, be hit by a car, die of some strange dog disease. Who knows? But in the meantime, we have fun together. We've been for runs. I've been for runs. She's slightly better than me at fetching the stick. She comes into bed and flicks her tail on my face while I'm sleeping and I don't even mind. Reggie looked at Michelle. I'll be back at work soon. I want you as a partner again. Would you mind? That'd be great, actually, Michelle said. I've been painting too, Reggie said. Come and see. On the wall in the bedroom, in expert roses. I need a ton more practice, Reggie said. They're great, really, Michelle said. There's other stuff, Reggie admitted, from way earlier, from before I was a cop, from when I was a kid. My mum. This is her dressing gown. I realise I wear it to be close to her. Delta taught you all of this? Michelle asked. Don't be ridiculous, Reggie said. Eddie did. But he didn't talk about it. That short moment I held him, Reggie said. That one torn scrap of time, that shred of a few seconds, somehow bound us together. It friggin' snared us. I don't know how, I don't know why, but all I've been doing since that moment is processing it and fetching sticks for Delta. But now it's time to move again. We only get one crack, don't we? There's no point in wasting it, even when so many do. There's others desperate for what we have. We owe it to them. We owe it to ourselves. Reggie's hand was slowly massaging the back of Delta's neck. She was smiling again. That was Nancy Dennis reading Down Among the Dead Men. It was recorded on Gadigal land at King Sound Studios in Surrey Hills, Sydney. Thanks, Nick and Joe. Trevor Brown did the music. By did, I mean composed and performed it. Astounding. I should mention that his intention was to only use percussion. However, I added the violin as a sound effect. 
Hey, I've been told it's really important to build subscribers, so can you please like the show and follow it on whatever platform you're using to listen to it? It'll make a big difference. Ear Movies are written and produced by me, Simon Luckhurst. Thanks for listening. Thank you.